Hello, 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 and hi, and welcome to Dickens and Quips, the podcast that takes the bish please out of Shelley Bish Shelley. Um, join me, Dee Dickens, as I wander around showing you a world of poetry that isn't exclusively populated by old dead white men. Now, it's week three. How exciting. And no, I don't want to make gallbladder news a regular feature because I'm sure nobody needs to know about as much about my gallbladder as I do and my surgeons. I have to say I'm feeling much better than I did last week and hopefully I'll be a little bit chirpier for you. Anyway, this week I have amazing poet Christina Thatcher with me. You may remember that I covered her second collection, How to Carry Fire, published by Parthian last week. Um, Christina Thatcher is a creative writing lecturer at Cardiff Metropolitan University. She keeps busy off campus as poetry editor for the Cardiff Review, a tutor for the Poetry School, a member of the Literature Wales Management Board and as a freelance workshop facilitator across the UK. Her poetry and short stories have featured in over 50 publications, including the London Magazine, North American Review, Planet Magazine, The Interpreter's House and more. She has published two poetry collections with Parthian Books, More Than You Were, 2017, which I am going to cover at some point, because, whoa, and How to Carry Fire, 2020, which I covered last week. To learn more about Christina's work, please visit her website, christinathatcher.com, or follow her on Twitter at Write to Empower. Personally, Christina is a poetry powerhouse you are in for an absolute treat so for now say hello to christina thatcher hi christina hey Dee. thanks so much for having me on i'll have to do a lot to live up to that uh expectation <laughs> you set here for me <laughs> well it's not really an expectation our readers heard your poems our readers our listeners heard your poems last week and and there were there were actual tears when joe and i got off got off from recording last week we were just so chuffed to be able to feature you because you've meant so much to us in our journey as poets it's we wouldn't be poets without you and lucy so so there you are now you're gonna make me cry <laughs> yay <laughs> always good to make your lecturers cry people so <laughs> so in um in this week's what you're reading d I've been reading Audrey Lord's collection of essays, The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House. But isn't this a poetry podcast? I hear you cry metaphorically. Yes. And she was a poet. But her essays are important too, and they kind of intermingle. You can't really separate the ideas in them, one from the other. So they're kind of like a companion guide to each other. If that makes sense, like when you have, when you play Elder Scrolls and you get the big thick book because you've got more money burning a hole in your pocket than you need to. Student loans just come in, whatever it is. And you buy the big companion book. Well, Audre Lorde's poems and essays both serve the poem, both serve the purpose rather of being each other's companions and helping you gain understanding of each. And I found that really fascinating. So... You get twice the depth, twice the insight, and twice the joy of reading her words. Now, with Audre Lorde, I went online to see what I could find about her, and her Wikipedia entry says this. Audre Lorde was an American writer, feminist, womanist, librarian, 
and civil rights activist. She was a self-described black lesbian mother warrior poet who dedicated both her life and her creative talent to confronting and addressing injustices of racism, sexism, classism, heterosexism and homophobia. I mean, I was struck. The thing that struck me about that was how she was described as a librarian. It was, um, I wasn't sure if it was an autocorrect fail <laughs> they meant to put lesbian or they decided that her love of organising books was more important than her activism. It was quite puzzling, but then it is wiki. So I went hunting for a poem of mine that I wanted to read alongside the essays and it was really difficult to do, but let's have a look. Why is Sorry, bear with me one second. I've actually lost something. So the, the poem of hers I've decided to share with you is called Who Said It Was Simple? So this is Who Said It Was Simple by Audre Lorde. There are so many roots to the tree of anger that sometimes the branches shatter before they bear. Sitting in the dicks, the women rally before they march, discussing the problematic girls they hire to make them free. An almost white counterman passes, a waiting brother to serve them first, and the ladies neither notice nor reject the slighter pleasures of their slavery. But I, who am bound by my mirror as well as my bed, see causes in colour as well as sex, and sit here wondering, which me will survive all these liberations? I absolutely love that. That final, I can't see the poem, but like that final stanza bound by, um, what was that line again? Can you read that one more time? I who, I who am bound by my mirror as well as my bed. Yes. And this idea of the conflict between which person will survive which person will be remembered the you know when you think about race when you think about gender when you think about all the different areas of your identity and which come to the forefront and which fade to the background and how people perceive you there's so much here yes there's absolutely lots and lots there and it and it sort of splits people splits the person into different sections mm -hmm. like much like her wikipedia entry it was mother librarian activists uh, and it's like which of those people will win out and it really spoke to me about the idea of different people being all in one part of different parts of you being all one person and and that whole collective and yeah it was just really intriguing to me so okay for me the poem I decided to read for this was one that is after Ellen Bass and was something that I did. Me and Christine are both massive fans of Ellen Bass. She's amazing. If I could get her on as well, that'd be great. Um, and it was part of the, um, one of the prompts that Christina actually gave us during Napo Remo, which is the National Poetry Writing Month. So this is after Ellen Bass, and it's called Bad Things Are Going to Happen. Bad things are going to happen. 
you will get your heart broken by someone who will deny they ever held it in their hands. Bad things are going to happen. You will have to deal with idiots who think coronavirus is caused by 5G or the lady chemicals that are released when someone's tongue knows its way around your clip. Bad things are going to happen. Avril Lavigne will actually die again. Britney Spears will murder her clone. The moon landing will be proved to be real. The moon will be proved to be real. 9-11 will have been an inside job and Barack will finally admit he is Kenyan. And we will have nothing to talk about except art and music and poetry. And we will have nothing to do except write poetry and paint and sing, sing, sing. And love. Bad things are going to happen, but there is always love. Thank you. That's, yeah, I love, I really love that poem. I was, it was one of those that I didn't edit at all. It just, I let it come out as it came out and really, really enjoyed it. It was absolutely lovely. I really liked the repetition of that line, the whole, you bad, you know, Ellen's line, this idea of the bad things which are going to happen. And I like the frame of the poem, the kind of setup about all these conspiracy theories, all these things which might um, come out. And then when we stop talking about those things, the room to make yes. exists, the room to love, and then, then the endurance of that, like where, you know, what will actually carry us on is this, is this love, is this art, is this poetry making, is this act of creation, like that is what will carry us. Um, so that's really lovely. Thank you, Christina. Right, now we get on to the really interesting bit, the guest interview. I need to get jingles. I think I need jingles. <laughs> I'm not sure. I get somebody to write me a jingle. Well, but I have to say there are two magpies sitting outside my window who have been like chattering away, like applauding you as you're talking and they've just kind of punctuated it. I don't know if you can hear them, but they're very loud. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. I do, I do love a Corvid. I really do love a COVID. Crows, ravens, magpies. They're just, they're so intelligent. They are. so funny. So, they're brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to have to write a poem about funny COVIDs, I think. So, um, Christina Thatcher. What can I say? This woman is the reason I'm a poet. Um, it's, if you could see her now, she's, she's, pulling her no no don't say nice things about me face but actually it's true there is this whole the expression fake it till you make it well on that kind of vein we christina used to walk into class every every wednesday and say good morning poets and that was enough to make us feel like we were part of the community and keep trying and there are a lot of us who felt that was really really important and there are a lot of us who are still writing poetry because of it so so yeah always be good so little questions little unimportant questions for you today Christina. <laughs> firstly why is poetry important to you oh gosh um i feel like there are so many reasons I guess it's important to me for, for a lot of reasons. And when we think about poetry, there's, there's kind of two sides. There's, there's why it might be important to me as a reader and why it might be important to me as a writer. Mm -hmm. As a reader, poetry has helped me feel less alone. So when I read poetry about things which maybe I've gone through or experienced or things which I've questioned or wondered about, 
it helps me feel connected to the wider world. And also poetry crosses centuries. It's this art form that kind of has a legacy and lets us feel connected to the people who have come before us. So as a reader, poetry is a really important thing for me to feel grounded and feel connected with the world around me. Um, and also, in a way, we use poetry as, as readers and as orators in important times in our lives. So it can help us punctuate funerals and weddings and, and, and celebrations and, and losses. And so that ability to have poetry as a connector of people is so hugely important. And then as a writer, for me, I feel like poetry is incredibly useful as a tool to explore things which are going on in my life, um, things which I'm uncertain about, things which I have difficulty articulating. So poetry can act as a witness to my difficult or traumatic experiences, but also as a witness to things that are happening in the wider world. And it can also be used to testify or to tell um, things which have happened. So in a way it's acting as a document um, of things which ha have gone on and punctuate that time um, in a way which might be needed. And I find actually the opportunity to write very cathartic, but even more than that, the opportunity to edit, to actually um, pare down and be precise about what I'm trying to say and to find the exact right verb or the exact right ending for something. That's such a satisfying thing to do, um, to be able to capture something that is so big or so looming or so important or so scary in my life um, in those words to kind of net it. And, and that gives me a sense of empowerment um, and a sense of ability to carry on. And, and that, that's a really important thing for me. So, so poetry, as you can see, has lots of um, importance in my life, both as a reader and a writer. That's a brilliant answer. And I totally agree with you. It's, um, it's really useful when you don't know quite what you're feeling and why to write a poem and you'll discover it you'll discover yeah. what you're feeling and why which is possibly hopefully going to be the basis of my phd thesis at some point um <laughs> yeah i'm already thinking uh, you know caroline bird talks about this uh, she talks about you know if you are going into a poem with an idea of what it's already going to be then that poem has already died because poetry in itself is an act of discovery and you must write into what we don't know and that's such an important thing to do. Um, and so you discover things about yourself, um, but also about the wider world. And that, that's an empowering and exciting um, and sometimes nerve wracking thing. But to be able to engage in art in that way is so important. It really is. I mean, to our, to our listeners, um, Christina is also the writer, the founder and facilitator of Roth Writers, which is the writing group I'm a part of. And the amount of times we all say the words, well, I was going to write about this, but it kind of turned into something else <laughs> when it comes to sharing our work at the end of the writing session. So this, is, this rings really true that we start to write. And if we know what it's going to be by the end of it, it's already died. And some of the work that been, has been coming out of there has been absolutely exquisite. And we will do a plug for our anthology at the end of this because we've got the, my writing group's got an anthology coming out and it's, it's stunning, even if I do say so myself. So um, next question, are you writing? And if so, what stuff are you writing? Yes, I am writing. I mean, like a lot of writers, I did find it quite hard to write in the beginning of the lockdown and when the pandemic was coming in, I felt like my brain was so full of worries and other things that it was difficult for me to be creative. But now I have started to write again and I feel really excited about that. Um, I'm mostly working on my third poetry collection, which is 
tentatively titled Breaking a Mare. Um, and it really looks at the intersection between female strength and vulnerability. Um, and I want the collection to kind of explore what it meant to grow up working on a farm with, surrounded by strong women, but also in the presence of domestic violence, um, and what it means to be a woman in a space which is traditionally masculine. So I'm doing lots of research into like female rodeo riders and rodeo clowns and things like that. Um, and I'm also looking at um, horses as a metaphor for domesticity and wildness. And it's really, um, at this collection, I was really lucky to get a Literature Wales Writer's Bursary back in 2018. So that's when I sort of started working on this project. Um, and really, I'm in the stage of the project because poetry is a slow art. You know, it's um, a couple of, you know, years that you can, it's years and years you can spend on, on your work. And I really love that about poetry. And so at the moment, I'm still in the playing stage. I'm still in the discovering stage. I'm, I'm just writing into these ideas and themes and seeing what comes out. And it's been really exciting to see all kinds of different approaches revealing themselves. Um, so yeah, it's been a really fun thing to, to focus on once I got my writing energy back. That's fantastic news. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to that. As soon as breaking a mare is such a good idea as well, because as soon as you said that, I had images of the home, of domesticity, of, of domestic abuse, of control and power dynamics. So, yeah, that's actually a really good title. The title's working. The title's working. <laughs> it, kind of, it kind of made me think, oh, I, I, yeah, that's probably what that's going to be about. And then you said what it was going to be about. And I was like, yes. Got it. Excellent. <laughs> really interesting because I have a really strong memory of being a child my my mom is a um, horseback rider and uh that's what she does for a living and I when I was a child um 11 she was she was breaking a young a young horse a, a young mare and um she fell off fell off of her and the horse fell on top of her and broke all her ribs and wow. I had to run and get um 911 to kind of take her to the hospital and it was such like a pivotal moment in all of our lives to watch that happening. And I think about it often and like what it meant for her to be trying to break this young horse and what it meant for the horse to break her. And there's just yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of rich things to explore. And it's coming back again to that discovery. Like, you know, that doesn't have a narrative attached to it. That's what happened in my life. But when you yeah. write into the poems, you kind of build connections between incidences in your life or ideas that you care about or themes that you're interested in or research that you've done and it's like a kind of building a constellation in the collection connecting all these different things to ideas and themes that I care about so it's really exciting fantastic so next question what are you reading and I know I know for a fact you're reading all of the things yes I read I'm, I'm reading so so much at the moment um, so obviously I'm preparing to teach, which is something around this time of year, which gives me a lot of opportunity to read. Um, this morning I read, uh, Passport to Here and There by Grace Nichols, who I really love. Um, so I have been doing a project all year where I've been rereading poetry collections on my bookshelf. Um, and then after the CLE challenge in August, where you read a new book or reread a book um, for 30 days, I've started to kind of pepper my rereading with new reading. So today I read um, that Grace Nichols collection, which I really, really enjoyed. It was like laid out in a very interesting way, um, looking at back and forth of homemaking and identity. 
Um, and actually there's a poem that Grace wrote uh, for the Right Where We Are Now project, the sort of pandemic project set up by Caroline Duffy called Harbor. And I always think about that poem. It was written in the beginning of lockdown when we were all kind of separated and isolated. And, um, you know, she says in the end of the poem, you know, the virtual world can console, but watch me give it up for the harbor of a hug. It's such a beautiful poem. I might have misquoted the ending slightly, but that is the sentiment. And it's that idea of harbor and what we harbor inside of us, but also like how we can act as a harbor. It just made me really want to read more of Grace's work because I've always loved her. So I went out, I got this collection that I hadn't read before of hers and um, really enjoyed it this morning. Oh, I love Grace Nichols. Um, you probably remember I did, wrote an after poem for her in my dissertation collection. <laughs> she's just amazing. Cause yeah, she's just, she's just so there, so vivid and so real. I adore her work. So time for you to pick a poem. Whose poem are you going to read to us and what's it going to be? And I know this was difficult. Imagine I have to do it every week. <laughs> Um, well, so recently I've been coming back and so I've been doing this rereading project and this reading project and, um, I don't know about you, but like when you watch a TV show and you see a new season coming out, do you go back and watch like the previous seasons to prepare? Because I often do Sometimes. that. Sometimes. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, so in, for me, I was really looking forward to Natalie Diaz's new collection, Post-Colonial Love Poem, which is absolutely amazing. Natalie Diaz is a Mojave American poet, um, and this, this new collection is fantastic. But um, before I read it, I went back to reread a collection of hers, which had made a huge impression on me, and that's called When My Brother Was an Aztec, and it's about her brother's um, drug addiction. Yeah. And obviously I feel a kind of personal connection to this author because my brother is also um, struggling with a drug addiction, but the way that she writes um, and the way that she plays with the page and, and with images, I just absolutely love this collection. And when I went back to read it, um, it was, you know, just, I had so many more poems that I really enjoyed. So even though I absolutely love post-colonial love poem and I urge everyone to go and buy it, I just thought I would read something from this collection because it's been in my heart a bit longer. Um, so the poem that I'm going to read from Natalie Diaz is called The Beauty of a Busted Fruit. The Beauty of a Busted Fruit. When we were children, we traced our knees, shins, and elbows for the slightest hint of wound, searched them for any sad red-blue scab marking us both victim and survivor. All this before we knew that some wounds can't heal. Before we knew the jagged scars of great-grandmother's amputated legs, the way a rock can split a man's head open to its red syrup like a watermelon, the way a brother can pick at his skin for snakes and spiders only he can see. Maybe you have grown out of yours too. Maybe you no longer haul those wounds with you onto every bus through the side streets of a new town. Maybe you have never set them rocking in the lamplight on a nightstand beside a stranger's bed, carrying your hurt like two cracked pomegranates because you haven't learned to see the beauty of a busted fruit, the bright stain it will leave on your lips, the way it will make people want to kiss you. Thank you. Oh, wow. That's gorgeous. 
Natalie Diaz. She's a oh, genius. Oh my days. That was beautiful. Yeah, I love this poem. I mean, there are so many poems in this collection that I love, some of them which deal really directly with her brother's drug addiction, others which deal with her family dynamics. She also writes about Mojave culture and mythology, yeah. which is all really interesting. Um, but in this poem in particular, I always come back to this idea of, you know, the, 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 the sort of straightforward narrative of, of this um, you know, that we all have our wounds that we carry and that yeah. some wounds can't heal, those first two sentences, but then it switches to the second person and talks directly to the reader, um, you know, talking to you. And that is that 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 was really effective for me. And also this idea that, you know, wounds are something which are vulnerable, but they could also be like bold and you could you could braze yeah. them, you could use them to show strength, and they could also be alluring and that kind of danger of like someone being uh, wanting to kiss you for your wounds and like that meaning that they could potentially love you for your weaknesses or, or or your past but also that they could possibly take advantage of you and that like that kind of edge of danger that comes with that last line where you might be accepted or you might be um, hurt is really powerful yeah. because that that is how we often feel about what has wounded us you know absolutely there's this there's a strength because we've survived what wounded us mm -hmm. but there's also vulnerability because we could get wounded again Definitely. And she says, you know, in this first stanza that the, our wounds make us both a victim and a survivor. And then she uses this image or, or this kind of statement at the end that people may, you know, people will want to kiss you. And in that instance, you could be both of those things too. Yeah. Like you could be a victim to them or you could survive with them. And that's really fascinating to me. I just love the way this poem moves. Lovely. Thank you so much. Obviously, I will be putting all these links to all these poems in the show notes and where you can get hold of them as well, um, just in case people want to grow their collections. So that, that's one of the reasons I decided to start the podcast is because so many people thought when you said poetry, just said, thought Byron, Kate, Shelley, Boren, and they don't realise there's this whole wealth of beautiful words coming from very marginalised, often voices. So thank you for that, Christina. Um, so which of your poems are you going to read for us? Oh, this is so tricky. I thought, um, you know, reading that poem by Natalie Diaz, where she's kind of talking about the things that make us vulnerable, I thought I would pick one of the poems in the collection um, from my second collection, How to Carry Fire, to read today. Um, so obviously my collection, which you did talk about a little bit on the last episode, this, thank you so much for that, Dee. Um, this collection covers lots of difficult things, the burning down of my, my childhood home and my brother's heroin addiction. Um, and a lot of them are coming from like a sort of an observational place. So they're emotionally my experience, but I'm also kind of looking out. But one of the things that a lot of people feel who are bereaved by addiction or who love someone who's an addict um, are all these other kind of darker feelings, you know, um, they, they feel the worry and the, the kind of fear about them dying, but also they feel like guilty because they think sometimes it might be easier if they were gone or they feel shame. And I've been reading a lot in preparation for a journal article I'm writing about these conflicting feelings, like about how you really want your, um, the person you love to live, but, but you don't know if you can carry on the way that it is. And it, it's really tricky. And I tried to write a poem a few years ago that captured this, so I thought I would read it today. Um, it's called Addicts Die a Thousand Deaths. Um, I love this poem. I don't really read it often, um, so I thought it would be a good one. Okay. Addicts die a thousand deaths 
So I pick a thousand poems to read at a thousand funerals, order them. First, one which states grief is the act of arranging elephant bones, then another about a deer slammed by a car, how its organs release like parachute silks, how we should never see what is inside of us. I make notes for a thousand eulogies with a thousand un-PC admissions, say how easy it is to give up on addicts. Then I perform a thousand radical acts of blame. Say maybe these deaths aren't from heroin at all or fentanyl or meth or pills. Maybe the coroner shouldn't have listed their cause as longs slowing to sloth pace or pinpointed the uneven rhythm of hearts. Instead, the death certificates should read us, the thousands of funeral going families. They should say we watched blood bloom in the fault lines of arms, turned away when veins collapsed like mine shafts. They say we admit it too often in whispers, our desire to be free, that we willed these kills a thousand times. And in the end, I will step down from every podium and say, I'm sorry, I know, I agree. It couldn't have been us. We never had the right gear for this. We never learned to rescue. Thank you. Woo! I love, like I said, I love that poem. I nearly did that one last week. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Very nearly. That was such a difficult poem to write. Um, you know, and a lot of, so my PhD is in bereavement by addiction. And in so much of the bereavement literature, families talk about all of these things. Like they talk about blaming themselves for losing yeah. someone. They talk about, the, the shame and the guilt and all these other difficult feelings. They also talk about losing the person they love so many times. You, you know, you lose them when they go into their addiction and then they kind of resurrect when they go into rehab and they become the regular person again. And then you lose them again. So you, you not only lose them physically, but you lose them like socially and emotionally too. And so yeah. you feel like the people you love are dying all the time. And when they finally actually die, um, you know, there's this terrible nagging in you that is kind of like, you know, did I, like, could I have done more? Like, could I have yeah. saved this person? And of course you couldn't, but like that never leaves you. Um, and obviously in my first collection, I talk about my dad's death of a drug overdose and just exploring, getting a chance to explore those um, feelings in this poem was really important for me. And, you know, it, it was an opportunity for me to talk about things which people are usually scared and, and feel ashamed about. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to read it here. And thank you for reading it. It was, I love hearing you read anyway. And that was just, it was a really beautiful reading of your own work. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So on to lines that make you go, ooh, wish I'd written that. <laughs> This, this week, it is, I'm staying with Audre Lord. I think I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick with the poet that I've chosen that week for this segment. I think this is working well. And it's from her poem, A Litany for Survival, which talks about being afraid and being poor and having an illusion of some safety put on you. And the line that I wish I'd written was learning to be afraid with our mother's milk. Yeah. 
that's yeah. I was like, oh, I wish I'd written that. Um, the idea of fear not being something you you learn later in life, but something mm-hmm. that you're always always aware of, was realistic, depressing, beautiful, all of the all of the things. It it really did hit me where where I live. It was. Yeah, so definitely and I love Audre Lorde I mean I just reread um her collection of essays and poetry your your silence will not protect you yeah um and just it must have been so hard for you to just choose one line because she's an absolute master absolutely and even with her essays it's like there's so many I could just sit here I could have a whole episode where I just basically read an essay to you yeah because not her essays read like poems definitely she's a very lyrical writer absolutely so yeah it was oh. fear um, learning fear with our mother's milk mm. right so it is time to say thank you and allow christina the floor for the shameless plug the shameless plug section i love this do you make a fantastic vegan cheese sandwich have you got books coming out what is it what is it you want our read our listeners to hear oh my gosh i wish i made a fantastic vegan cheese sandwich but alas my cooking skills are a bit subpar at the moment still trying definitely lockdown's given me some opportunity um so I guess in terms of plugs, my second collection, which I've read from, How to Carry Fire, came out during lockdown, came out in April. Um, so if you're interested in poems about um, fire, family addiction, um, identity, uh, landscape, there's all kinds of things in this book. So definitely check that out. Um, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Write to Empower. Um, I've also got a website, christinathatcher.com. And if you've heard anything in the podcast that interests you, I always love hearing from people. So feel free to reach out um, my door or i.e. my inbox is always open. So please, uh, please reach out. Um, and yeah, I think that's probably enough for me, Dee. But thank you for <laughs> offering that space. <laughs> You're more than welcome. So um, thank you all for listening. I have been Dee Dickens and you, as ever, have been marvellous. You can get in touch with the show on dickensandquips at gmail.com or on Twitter and Insta at Dickens and Quips. You've got to love having the same name across all platforms. It's easier. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm also on Twitter. My personal account is the Ponty Poet or D Dickens Poet, poet and author on Facebook. And please do let me know what's going on poetry or spoken word wise in your area. If you want to come on the show, also hit me up and don't forget to subscribe so I can get in your luggles every week. So next week we have Claudia Volpe on the podcast and I will be reading to you from River Hymns by Tyree Day. So looking forward to that. So this now I'm going to leave you with the prompt of the week and this week it is movement of people and you can interpret that however you like pop it in an email dickensandquips at gmail.com and i'll read one out on next week's show so take care make good choices and if you can't make good choices then that's what writing poetry is for thank you very much and bye bye thanks christina thank bye. you bye